Heavenly Father, Lord God of heaven and earth, and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, bless us now with your precious, inspired, and preserved words to us, and grant us the faith by the power of your Holy Spirit who wrote these words to understand them, to believe them, to embrace them, and to order our lives by them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of Him in peace, without spot, and blameless. Verse 11, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. The heavens and the earth shall be dissolved. They will be reduced from their state of compounds to their component individual elements and re-put together in the new heavens and the new earth. I want you to remember that it's going to be a change. It's not going to be an annihilation or total destruction and then a recreation. It's going to be a reformation, just like it's going to be our resurrection. It is our bodies that go down and our bodies that come up, though greatly changed and altered, to take on new properties and have a new nature for them when we get to heaven. And so it is here as well, because Psalm 102 and Hebrews chapter 1, which quotes Psalm 102, tells us that it will be a change in them. Seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, I mentioned to you that there are three conclusions being drawn in this description, closing out Peter's second epistle. Verses 11, 14, and 17. Seeing then, then in verse 14, seeing that, and then in verse 17, seeing ye know these things. This draws a conclusion based on information that has been given that it should affect the way we live and view life. Seeing Because I've disclosed this information to you, because I've told you, based on these facts, there's conclusions being drawn, interspersed, only a couple verses apart, in this explanation of what is coming in the great day of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ when He returns to this earth. Based on the knowledge of earth's total destruction, it should affect our lives. This cataclysmic, fiery destruction of the world should get our attention in our lives. There is a reward for the righteous. And you heard that at the last verse of 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, brethren, we shouldn't be discouraged in our labors for the Lord, knowing that they'll be honored and blessed by Him. We shouldn't faint. We should continue because of what's being promised us. Nothing in this world matters because it's all going to be burned up. There are horrible consequences for sinners in the lake of fire. There will be shame even for the children of God that have lived a carnal life when they meet the Lord Jesus Christ. To know this 
to know these things, to know such things, and not change our lives, according to the last verse of Psalm 49, is to be like a beast. We're no better than the beast. We're not thinking about what's been revealed to us of what is coming. And we want to live in light of that. If you knew that a thief was coming and you knew his strength, you would be prepared. If you knew a thief was coming in general, you'd be well prepared for it. If you knew the thief was strong that was coming, you would take needed steps to stop him. And it may mean getting more firepower at your house or friends at your house or whatever. This is the Lord Jesus Christ coming. You know the Lord Jesus Christ is coming, so we need to get ready and stay ready every day so that He can come at any time and not find any sins in our lives. That's our goal. You know the consequences of His coming are severe, so let's be diligent accordingly. What manner of persons ought you to be? What kind of a person are you going to be the rest of this day? And if He gives us tomorrow, what kind of a person will you be in the light of His coming? What will He find? Seeing that all these things are going to be dissolved, what kind of persons ought we to be? We shouldn't be wrapped up in this world. We should be wrapped up in the next world and enduring this world while we go and do our duties as His children. If you know this gospel fact about that's coming, these things that are listed here, if you know them and it does, and you don't change, you're likely a reprobate. If we don't get moved by these things, we're likely reprobates. If you know these facts and you don't change, you're at best a belly worshiper. As we had read to us from Philippians chapter 3. How can we any longer delight in building things up in this world, seeing their future? He is a great king and he deserves our best. He deserves our best for who he is. He deserves our best for what he's done for you. He deserves our best for what he expects from us. He deserves our best for what He's going to do to this world, and He deserves our best for what He will do to sinners, and He deserves our best for what He has in store for us. There's, there's a multitude of reasons that He deserves our best. And the first one is good enough. Who He is. He's a great King, and He's Jehovah God. We want to give Him all holy conversation and godliness as the last part of this 11th verse tells us, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be, and this is what we ought to be excelling in, all holy conversation and godliness. God is holy, so He expects our lifestyle to be holy. That means to be pure and free from sin. We want to hate sin and despise it and find it despicable and filthy and dirty and profane and blasphemous and wrong because it's contrary to Him and His thrice holiness with which they ascribe to Him in heaven. We want to be that way. Thrice holy. Like, Like unto the Lord. As much as we can be like Him in the next Description is godliness. We want to order our lives in a way that pleases God and matches His definition for what is godly conduct. God is holy. And we want our lifestyle to be holy because He is holy. Remember 1 Peter chapter 1? If you turn back there just a few pages, it says in verse 15, "...but as He which hath called you is holy..." 1 Peter 1.15, So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. See, Peter's doctrine and gospel hasn't changed much from 1 Peter chapter 1 to the last chapter of 2 Peter. 
Verse 16, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. That is a commandment of the Word of God. Since He's holy, He wants His children to be holy. We worship God in the beauty of holiness. That's what makes our worship beautiful is when we're holy. When our thoughts are holy and pure without stains or spots of sin as we're going to see. When our speech is that way and our lives are that way, we don't even want the spots of the world because holiness doesn't have spots. Everything else you know allows spots. Every authority in the world allows spots. But God doesn't allow spots. He wants us holy. And He has to wash away all those spots with the blood of His only begotten Son. Verse 17, And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. We should fear before the Lord and tremble in joy, but we should be making sure that we're living a holy life. And Peter says, back to 2 Peter 3.11, that knowing these things are going to be dissolved should lead us to holy living. What should you do differently this afternoon? What do you need to change in, the, in your thinking processes? What do you need to change in your speech? Where have you been going? What have you been watching? What have you been doing that you need to change to be holier? We don't want the Lord to catch us in sin, profanity, and the dirtiness and filthiness of this world, we want Him to find us holy. He that hath this hope in Him. Every Christian that truly believes that Jesus Christ is coming again, and He will adopt us formally as His children before the universe, He that hath this hope in Him, 1 John 3, 3, purifieth Himself even as He is pure, purifieth Himself. Every single one in this room, including me, we need to purify our lives every day. This is being watchful. This is being ready for the Lord to come at any time by purifying our lives. What do you watch? What do you listen to? Who are your friends? What do you think about? How are you handling your money, your time, your work, your relationships, all of your relationships. Men, do you remember a relationship wheel and all those spokes of all the relationships that we have? Are you guarding each one of them? The Lord's going to ask for us to show our holiness in every one of those measures. And we want to be godly, which is religious sobriety, with commitment to conform ourselves and our lives to God's character and will for our lives. Godly repentance can get you started by repenting of anything that you're doing that is not pleasing to the Lord. It's simple, and it's the only way to live, is to live this way. And this is the motivation that the Bible gives us, because the Lord's coming, He's going to burn everything up. We should be wholly dedicated to Him. He allows us to to richly enjoy the things of this life, but He doesn't want us to put our trust in them. He doesn't want them to lead us away. He wants us to set our affection on things above, but the things that are down here that He gives us, He allows us to use them as long as we don't abuse them. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 teaches us that. Verse 12, looking for and hasting. This continues the description of the kind of persons we ought to be from the 11th verse. We ought to be this kind of a person. A holy lifestyle, living godly, and looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. We should look for it. To them that look for His appearing shall He return. And to them that love His appearing, which is more along the lines of hasting unto it. 
There are many places in the Bible that speak of us looking for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will change our lives if we're looking. If you're actually looking for Him to come, that means you're thinking about it and that it could happen. Therefore, you want to be ready for Him coming. Like if we knew a thief were to arrive. We would adjust accordingly. And you would take serious adjustments if you knew a thief were coming. You would want to know where he's going to try to gain entrance. You would want to know what's he going to try to do inside? What's he going to try to steal? You would, If you knew those things, you would adjust. Well, guess what? The Lord that's coming has told us every adjustment we need to make. Amen. We look into the perfect mirror of God's Word and it shows us all our blemishes. And then most men just turn away after hearing the Word of God and they are not doers of the Word of God. They, he goeth his way and forgetteth what manner of man he was. Well, there's a manner of persons God expects us to be, and we can just read about it in the Bible. Let's read what manner of persons we ought to be and make ourselves that kind of a person. Right. And choose to do it. The rest of today, as soon as we end this service, and tomorrow, because he's told us, it's the mirror of God's Word. We look, oh, I've got a blemish. I'm not doing that as well as I should. And so I need to change that. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, and I'm going to go right now and work on doing that the way you want me to do it in all parts of our lives. Hasting unto the coming of the day of God. That means you want it to hurry because you love it and you're looking forward to it and you're ready for it. Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. You say to me, you're reading to me verse 12, but those words were back in verse 10. Why the repetition? When God repeats something in such close uh, proximity to each other, it's to get your attention that these are real, significant events that should affect our lives. Thank you, Lord, for the repetition. We need the repetition. Unto the coming of the day of God. That day of God in verse 12, the middle of verse 12, is the same as the day of the Lord in verse 10. Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved. They're going to be melted down. How do we get gold out of, say, iron ore or other ores that are pulled out of the earth? We, we apply very hot fires to them. And being that there are different melting points, certain metals run out at different temperatures and we're able to gather them. Well, he's going to melt everything down. It's going to dissolve and he'll put it back together again. Our bodies go in the ground. They dissolve. They are reduced to their constituent parts and he'll put them back together again. It will be a resurrection and it will be a changed heaven and earth. Amen. And you won't mind where you end up living. You'll love the new heaven and the new earth. It's made perfectly. All things are new. The Lord told us in Revelation chapter 21, the first eight verses. Nevertheless we, verse 13. Nevertheless we. Nevertheless. In spite of what's just gone down in verses 10 through 12, about everything being burned up, dissolving and melting under fervent heat. In spite of all that, we have good things coming because those are negative events. Burning up, melting, dissolving are all negative descriptions of things that we have valued as permanent and valuable and precious to us will melt. But in spite of that, we have good things coming. The wicked will be cast into hell. They will be destroyed and everything they have put their expectation and hope on will be ended. The expectation of the wicked shall never be realized. But the hope of the righteous shall be. 
And what is our hope that Brother Mark read to us? It is what we cannot see yet. It is the manifestation of the children of God and being delivered out of this bondage of corruption into a new universe that is not bogged down with the weight of sin upon it. That's where we're going. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. There's many promises, Old Testament, New Testament, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Matthew, the Gospels, the Apostles, Paul, Peter, James, Jude. They talk about the promise of God coming to get us. God has not left us here, and God has not left us here without a promise that He's coming for us. And so it says, according to His promise. And it is this promise that is under debate in this chapter, because in verse 4 it said, scoffers are going to come along and say, where is the promise of His coming? And they're not asking for Bible references to the book of Job. They're saying, where is the fulfillment of His promises that He's going to come? And then verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. And here we have it again, that there is a promise. God has said it. If God says it, that is truer than anything else you will ever know in the universe. If God said it, that settles it. Amen. And it doesn't even matter in the middle whether we believe it or not. You know, sometimes we say God settles, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, that only works for your mind. All we need to say is God said it, that settles it. Because whether you believe it or not, or anyone else believes it or not, that settles it. He's coming on time to do everything exactly as described. And we've been given enough to fill us with great hope. Our bodies are going to be changed. Everybody, whether it's a young one-year-old boy or girl, or the oldest person in this room, we're going to be changed. We know the cure for cancer. It's Second Peter chapter 3. Behold, I make all things new. It doesn't matter whether it's cancer or some other word. You know, whether it's heart disease, He's going to make all things new. What kind of a heart are we going to have over there? I'll tell you one thing, it's not going to get tired after a few hours of work. What a blessed place we're going to, going to with the bondage of corruption off corrupted, I mean, resurrected and glorified physical bodies to carry our spirits to be with the Lord forever. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Look at Revelation chapter 21 and let's let's see a few of the things that God's going to get rid of and a few of the things that He's going to give us new. Revelation chapter 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. This is the church. This is the body of God's elect. This is the family of God, pictured under a church, under a city. And I heard a great voice out of heaven, verse 3, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things 
are passed away. We get to get rid of all these things with the passing away and melting of the heavens and the earth. And he that sat upon, and he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Amen. Amen. We don't have any reason to put a restriction on that all. Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. You can count on them, brethren. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Let's overcome all things. This world is going to throw all kinds of temptations and trials at us. We can overcome all things because we can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth us. You can do it in your marriage. You can do it in your thoughts. You can do it in your speech. You can do it in the time you get up. You can do it in the diligence and industry you show during the day in your duties. You can do it through the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ, looking at the reward and doing it to honor and glorify Him. You can do it. But notice... In verse 8, we have another inspired disjunctive, but drawing a contrast from all those new things and wonderful situation in heaven described in verses 1 through 7, but the fearful. Oh, pastor, now I know why you hate fear mongers. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The difference between verse 7 and verse 8 is enormous. And the difference between verse 7 and 8 is all by the electing grace and purpose of a sovereign God who made a choice for us to be vessels of mercy, prepared aforehand unto glory, and to leave others vessels of wrath, prepared unto the day of wrath. Holy Father, thank You for this great choice You've made for us. The difference between verses 1-7 through and that 8th verse is enormous. Verse 27 says, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. When the roll is called up yonder, will be there and we will have heaven and will be owned before the universe as his children. In chapter 22 and verse 15, for without, outside that city, outside the pictured city of the church and family of God are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. The huge difference So those things that are listed there that are outside the city, they're in our flesh. We have every single one of them in our flesh. And if the Lord were ever to withdraw His gracious power in helping us, they would burst into flames in our lives. We would bring them out. But we want to mortify all those things that are listed because in Galatians, Colossians, and in other places, we are told to put off the works of the flesh and to mortify them. So we should put them to death because they are the character traits of the wicked. And we want to put on the holy things that belong to the children of God and that are empowered in our lives by the Holy Spirit 
who by his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Verse 13, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. We believe in five phases of salvation. We believe that salvation delivers from the plan of sin before the world began, when God planned the to allow sin into the world, the penalty of sin, because Jesus Christ paid that penalty of death on the cross, the power of sin, we can resist it by the power of the Holy Ghost in our new man, from the practice of sin, which is when we hear preaching and we change our lifestyle, but oh, there's a day coming in which we shall be delivered from the presence of sin. Save from the plan, the penalty, the power, the practice, the presence you won't even be able to find it. Because it's all going to be out in the lake of fire. And no one will be allowed to enter in that is guilty of any of those things. What does your new man hate the most about this world? The old man. Good answer. Will there be an old man for Jim Cutler? No, the old man's gone. You'll have one undivided, undiluted, all out, red hot, pedal to the pedal to the metal, zeal for righteousness, holiness, and the glory and worship of God. Amen. Sound pretty good? Amen. It doesn't matter what you answer me with this question. What does your new man hate the most about this world? No matter what you come up with, it'll be gone. Right. It'll be gone. Are you tired of temptation and everything that you do mixed with sin? All will be holy. Are you tired of distractions and thoughts running wild? All will be focused. Oh, it's coming. We'll get rid of this carcass of flesh and our old man. Verse 14, Wherefore, beloved, remember, there's three conclusions being drawn. If you mark in your Bible, you want to, might want to get that seeing in verse 11, seeing in verse 14, seeing in verse 17. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, it should have an effect upon our lives. Peter called them beloved because we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. God has loved us so that we have a camaraderie and a common expectation and a common hope, the like precious faith, with other believers, wherever they might be in this world. Plus the ones that are already before us, the spirits of just men made perfect. We have something in common that transcends any compatibility that you've ever imagined. And that is, we are all the children of God, all going to a new heaven and a new earth where no one else is going with us, and we will share the new universe together with the Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father. So no wonder, wherefore, beloved. You know, he used beloved throughout this chapter. If you look around and find it, it's in verse 1, it's in verse 8, it's in verse 14, it's in verse 17. He refers to them as beloved four times in one chapter. Even though these people were not Peter's converts, they were Paul's converts up there in Turkey. Peter's way far away over in Babylon of Iraq. And yet he, beloved, what makes us all beloved to each other? God has beloved us. God has loved us. We are God's beloved. 
and we want to love His children just like we love Him, and we have something in common, we will be the citizens of the heavenly kingdom. We will be the citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem. We will have the new heavens and the new earth. We might as well be friends with them now. I hope you get that. Because we're going to be living in a universe with them. And the wicked will be gone. I like that one. Oh, yes. Yes, Stephen Hawking. You say, you've got a thing out for... Yes, of course I do, and you should too. Because he's opened his big mouth against the God of heaven. He doesn't know anything. I hope that you read a proverb that went out very recently that there is a difference between IQ and WQ. Who cares about intelligence quotient? Can somebody give me a color that is the measure of the IQ? Yellow blocks go in the yellow bucket without too many mistakes until it's time for graham crackers and milk. That's IQ. Put the yellow blocks in the yellow bucket and don't make too many mistakes. And when you're done, we'll have graham crackers and milk. That's Stephen Hawking and Bill Nye and the rest of that group. Wisdom quotient. God said it, that settles it. (laughs) The, The difference in understanding of the past, the present, and the future can't be defined just by trusting God in His Word, who is our Creator. So it says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, because He's already mentioned their character trait up there in verse 12, that they are looking for the coming of Christ and the dissolution, the dissolving of the heavens and the earth, and they're hasting unto it. And so verse 14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you're looking for such things, seeing that we're in agreement that we want the Lord to return, be diligent. And we have had diligence in this epistle. Remember verse 5? And beside this, giving all diligence of chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 5, give all diligence. Chapter 1, verse 10, wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, and here, be diligent. That means it takes hard work. It takes hard work to be a vigilant, holy, godly, careful, watchful Christian. But there's pleasure in doing it. There's pleasure in doing it. You know, it takes less faith to believe and practice the Bible than to reject and defy the Bible. They have no explanation for how anything got here. You know, if you even think about their law of thermodynamics, that things are winding down and decaying on a continual basis, how in the world did we ever come out of disorder into order? They contradict themselves, but only God can grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. They will continue to oppose themselves and be taken captive by the devil at his will until God, if he ever does, peradventure, grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. The Bible's the most logical book ever. Do you know that? The most logical book ever is this Bible right here. Seeing then, seeing that, seeing ye know, that is just pure logic. Based on this information, by these facts, this is what you should do. It is just throughout the Bible. If, then. Do this, the result. So logical. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found in him. 
Now there's three things he wants us to leave with. He wants to find you in peace. He cannot stand fighting, contention, debate, grudges, bitterness, all those things. No way. Is there anything outstanding right now between you and your wife? Wife, is there anything outstanding right now between us? There can't be. He wants to find us in peace. Parents, siblings, children, church members, employers, employees, neighbors. Is is there anything not in peace? He loves peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Be at peace. Make peace. He's coming. And He's a God that loves peace. And He's told us how many times does He have to tell us in the Bible that He wants us to be at peace. There's only one reason why you fight with anyone. It's your stinking pride. Only by pride cometh contention. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 10. It's your pride. Swallow your pride. Flush your pride. You're nothing. Why don't you figure it out now before the Lord has to tell you that you're nothing in front of the universe? Flush it. Peace without spot. Spot is letting the world get on us. Let's not let it get on us. Because I'm trying to make it a little bit different from the word blameless. We don't want to make without spot and blameless to be equivalent synonyms of each other unless necessary. Blameless is going to say to have no outstanding faults. We've confessed everything. We are living righteously before God. There is nothing that He can blame us for because it's all under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and we're living a righteous life without blame, blameless. But then without spot, we don't even want to be spotted by the world. Does it say in James chapter 1 and verse 27 that pure religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep Himself unspotted from the world. That's to let the world get in and dirty up our speech, dirty up our thinking, dirty up our actions, just to pollute it and corrupt it a little bit, just to color it. We want to be colored holy. We want to be colored pure. We want to be colored righteous. We don't want those spots on us. Yes, legally, Jesus Christ's blood is covering every spot. But when we are found of Him, we do not want practical spots that we have allowed the world to come in and to corrupt or dirty us in thinking, speaking, or our conduct or actions, whether it's our clothing or the way we drive on the highway, when there is a posted speed limit. Without spot. Blameless. In peace. All holy conversation. Godliness but giving diligence to all those. Because the situation is so great, the events coming so dramatic, seeing what's about to happen, we should be living holy, godly, peacefully, righteously in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's only one way to do it. Since we don't know when He's coming, and it could be this afternoon. we got to live every day that way. And He gives us the power. And, you know, let me say this to you as we close. If I, if I, if I believe you, Pastor, and were to sell out to living a holy life, sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ, wouldn't I lose? Jesus said that if you'll lose your life for My sake, you'll find it. He knew more about life than you can even imagine. 
if you try to keep your life by keeping your little pet sins, you'll lose it. I want to go further and say this. The Bible that you hold in your hands is a win-win proposition. You win even if the Bible isn't true and there is no Jesus Christ and He's not coming back for us. Because the Bible, in the way that it addresses all the parts of our lives, has never been even touched, but is transcendent wisdom for how to live in marriage, how to work on the job, how to manage money, how politics should be set up. Even if Jesus Christ is not coming back, the Bible is the absolute way you ought to live. And so you would win even if Jesus Christ doesn't come back. Now the only reason I'm saying this is to make a point to you that there is no downside to following the God of heaven. When the God of heaven writes a book, there is no downside. Even the wicked benefit to the degree that they follow this book in this life. So there is no downside. And do you know what the upside is? That you get to meet Him boldly and with confidence. It's the Lord! And you'll do it with joy. Admiring Him in that day. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Will you humor me for a couple of minutes? Oh, that's a dead audience. Uh, Burgundy Hymnal 406. I want to justify the song before we sing it. We sang it at my mother's funeral a few, a few years ago. It's, it's kind of it's kinda light in its lyrics. It's where the roses never fade, 406 in your burgundy. But do you know what? We're going to a place where the roses never fade. And as you go through these verses, even though the lyrics might be a little weak, I want you to remember that he's going to make all things new. The bondage of corruption is going to come off. And things are going to be different.